we've been doing a series on WFMJ called Race in the Valley. And today we are holding a panel discussion with a few community leaders, familiar faces. Uh, let's start with Miss Penny Wells. I'm going to introduce everyone. We have Penny Wells with Sojourn to the Past, Mahoning Valley. We have Miss Rosetta Carter. She is with Action. Reverend David Holbrook with Warren Revival Center. Vincent Peterson II. He's with Congressman Tim, Tim Ryan's office. Pastor Mike. Constantino. He is the pastor of New Life Christian Fellowship, and he's also the chaplain, one of the chaplains at uh, Liberty Police Department. We also have Mr. Tom Conley, and he is the president and CEO of Greater Warren Urban League. Uh, Tracy Manning, curator of education at the Tyler History Center and Garrick Matlock, pastor of Restoration Christian Life Ministries in Warren. Thank you all for joining us. So we're going to get this discussion started. Um, first things first, I want to know what do you think people still may not understand about this moment in history and how it's different than others, if it's different, if you think it's different. Vincent? So uh, obviously I've not been on this earth a long time, uh, you know, but 30 years, but in my 30 years, I've never seen um, people gather together in a way as they are right now. Um, I was formerly in law enforcement, uh, now working in politics, but you know, the one thing that it seemed after every video or every moment like this ever happened, there was always a but. There was always, hey, this happened, but, or, you know, he shouldn't have been doing this or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think this moment was so egregious and people felt it so deeply that they had no choice but to really look at what, what are the deeper causes? What are the deeper meanings? And, you know, I, I often compare this moment to uh, the Selma Bridge incident, not not because of of the the scope of it, but people watch that live. They they watch what happened, and they were forced to see and forced to feel a sense of responsibility, even if they were in the north, for what was happening in the south. And it changed because that same year we were able to get the Voting Rights Act because so many people felt so impassioned about getting policy change and changing things. In this moment, I, I, that's what I feel. I feel like people are passionate about making change. And right now it's not just African-American people. It's not just people from big cities, but it's, it's going on everywhere and everybody's feeling that passion and desire. So that's the difference that I'm seeing right now. Awesome. Thank you. Miss Rosetta. Uh, I'm probably the oldest one on this uh, panel. And uh, when I listened to Vincent and he said, you know, he hasn't been on this earth very long. And I've been on 70 plus and have been a victim of racism. And it's very difficult for me because my livelihood was built on 
um, uh, my adult livelihood was built on the fact that my husband was one of the first African-American state highway patrolmen in Ohio. And as he was serving his state, our house was burned down right over in Austin town. So we were victims of, of racism, but yet and still nothing ever. I mean, police never came, nothing happened. We rebuilt. And then I've lived all over the country in different areas. Uh, and so now in my years, I've never seen such hatred and such racism, but yet and still, now I see such unity between our black and white brothers and sisters are, are saying we're tired and enough is enough and, and supporting us and actually understanding our pain and what we had gone through. Yes, I said, even the racism when my, my several great, 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 great grandfather was hung, but yet and still, I do still work for, for equality. So it's a time now where we, when I look and see the protests, when I see the people coming together, when I see everything, it's like, finally, we are becoming united to make a change in, in, in our, our community. Awesome. Um, Ms. Penny Wells, I saw you put up your hand. Right. So, so I agree with, with Vincent. He's talked about the Edmund Pettus Bridge, uh, you know, and the attack on John Lewis and the 600 people from Selma who, who were kneeling to pray and were attacked by, you know, state troopers, deputy sheriffs, um, policemen, you know, with, with uh, some on horseback, some with, with gas masks on, with clubs wrapped in um, barbed wire, and attacked this innocent group of people. And that happened a number of times, you know, during the 60s. You know, one was um, the Children's March, where we saw children, you know, being attacked um, by, by vicious dogs, by, you know, police, uh, firemen with fire hoses. And that first day of the Children's March, and there were over a thousand children in jail. They had so many people in jail, so many kids in jail, they had to house them in, in the stalls in the um, fairgrounds in, in Birmingham. But all of those incidents, um, you know, shocked the country and it, and it caused people in the North in particular to, you know, to march, to protest. Uh, and a lot of them were, were white. When, when they had Freedom Summer, there were a thousand, thousand young people, college students that came South to work in um, Mississippi. And um, many of them, the most of them, were white. And one of the one of the comments that Snick and Core made was, you know, let if something happens to one of these white kids, then maybe that will startle the nation because it's been happening to black kids over and over and over again, and nobody's responded. So you had public reaction and all of that all during the '60s. But I think one of the things that's different about now is that you you, you had Martin Luther King, you had John Lewis, who were who were the leaders, and who were been working on and on and this this right now is is more a leaderless action it's just people all over the country responding without one leader pulling everybody in and because of social media and because of 24-hour news and because 
you can see, you know, what's what's happening almost instantly. Uh, I think it's also charged charged people up, and the movement has become bigger and larger. William Barber made the comment the other day that, um, you know, seeing for eight minutes and forty six seconds someone being murdered. I mean, people people have watched that murder over and over and over again. Has galvanized the country, and and we're in the midst of mourning. And when people are mourning, one thing it shows is that we still have compassion. We've not lost our sense of compassion and and hope that things can be better. But it also means that while you're in that period of more of mourning, that that we're working towards action. So that we just can't let that action stop uh, because you know people decide you know I've, I've done this and now I'm moving on. And, and also one of the differences I see is that um, many of the, like the Edmund Pettus Bridge or the Children's March led to federal actions, led to federal laws. And even though in the South there were some changes, you know, in, in small towns and cities. But I think, I think this is leading to push for national laws about police brutality as well as local. And it's making people... It's not been like it's been on, ongoing, but it's making people really question and push what's happening in our community. What are we going to do? It's made companies like Procter & Gamble come out with some fabulous, fabulous ads that hopefully are making people, particularly people who look like me, um, think about things that they probably never, ever, ever thought about before. And that's where I think we, we need to push is working on getting this systemic embedded racism. And part of it is, Teaching, we've got to, we've got to be willing to teach, particularly people who are white, that that this is historic and it, and this this and police brutality for people of color has gone on since the 1600s. It's not like it's something new, and I think it's partly because people people don't know, and we need to educate, and we need to educate everyone. Garrick Matlock, Pastor Garrick Matlock. I've enjoyed what both uh, Penny and um, Vincent have brought before us as it relates to um, the changes that they see today. And one of the things that I do really agree with that has brought about a change um, from then to now is the fact of social media. Social media has been able to push the information quickly across the nation and across the world. as we see, there have been solidarity marches in countries all over the world. Um, much of what myself and Pastor Michael and Pastor Dave, what we deal with on a daily involves a book that has a lot of words that are in black and white. And many who want to make the situation just black and white um, there have been a generation that has risen up and said that we're not going to allow for you to spin this message. They said what we actually see um, is more than just a civil rights issue. We do see a human being. And we're watching, as Penny said, over and over and over again, this man's dignity. We're watching this man's humanity uh, being treated as though it's nothing. Now, during the 60s, people were horrified when they saw the hoses and the dogs come out because at that time, there were many who didn't believe that that was actually happening. But through the technology and through television, they were able to see it and they were horrified uh, behind what they were seeing that was happening. Today, we're able to be horrified and see it 
a whole lot quicker. And thank God that there are many that are responding. The other thing is this, and I just want to say this, is just that there were those who marched during the 60s that remember those days and they are able to do it all over again. They're marching again because they're saying, you know what, we have another up to bat right now. And we are at a time, whereas let's get this right. Mr. Conley? Yes, I, you know, on the piggybackers, that's exactly what I was gonna say about social media. Uh, it's a different day now, uh, a different way to fight the fight. Uh, social media has brought out a whole lot. Um, I say that social media really has uncovered the hood. You know, so you can't, you know, back in the day, you know, you didn't know, you, you didn't know that it was the law officers, the judicial system. You didn't know it was those persons doing all this damage, you know. But um, I am, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and looking forward and, you know, it's, 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 so, it's so satisfying to me to see what's going on. Uh, for instance, back in, uh, back in Warren, uh, when I introduced starting a video patrol where social media wasn't even popular, we didn't even have no people calling wanting to do that. But then I knew at that point in time that we had, it was always a police account against the uh, citizens account. And of course the police always won that fight, you know? So I, um, you know, I'm thrilled to see what's happening now, but then I think because we are in a reactionary mode, this whole country is in a reactionary mode and everybody want to do things and do it and get it done now. It's not going to happen right now, but at the same token, I think we need to, um, uh, we, we, we need to have a, a, a conversation as well on the history of these United States, the true history of these United States. And you know to show the injustices that came down in the form of law from uh, our government officials. You know, John Lewis was mentioned a whole lot. I had the privilege of escorting him uh, to a uh, to a speaking engagement here in Youngstown some years ago. And you know, it's just a, it's it's an honor, you know, to be amongst history. And we must be able to pass that legacy. Because, you know, it's a lot of people in Congress now that they were fighters, but they're ready to retire. And who's going to take place? You know, I know I'm in the point and I keep on telling everybody I have a few years left, but, you know, I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to be the one holding that torch and thinking that I can't let it go. But I, I feel that um, we must talk about our history. Uh, we must pe make people aware of the history of these United States and systematic racism as it really is. All right, my video just went out, but uh, Pastor Constantino. Thank you, dear. Um, I believe everyone here has made really great and strong points, but I have to just be personal with you and with everyone. Is When I learned about Mr. Floyd's death and, and watched that all, happened and then all the protesting started to develop. I, I was bothered, um, convicted and, and needing to help. And, you know, I, I believe one of the differences going on today is that people are acting on their convictions. They're, they're bothered personally by what is wrong and 
and what can I do? How can I help to make things right? And even though we might not have all the answers or even any answers, uh, we can get together like this and have conversations like Mr. Conley was alluding to and, and seek the Lord in our, in our churches and get on our knees praying and, and, and come together and do what's right. Uh, one of the other differences is I think a lot of us are really considering how important this is for our children and grandchildren to learn. I believe someone's already said that. Uh, this, this is a moment in history that is very significant. And if we are not taking advantage of the time we have with our children and grandchildren and helping them learn, uh, then, then, then we're missing it and we're squandering the opportunities and, and this will just buy, pass, uh, pass us by and we'll just be going in circles. So I, I really appreciate everyone's um, conviction in this and, and their willingness to help. And uh, that's really, it's really uh, a need right now. Tracy, did I see your hand go up after Pastor Constantino? Okay. Yeah, I think history, of course, is, is what I do. But I'm seeing so many more people latch on to the history. And it's not just going back to the, the 60s, the 50s. It's going back to the 1860s and the 1850s and looking at what happened not only leading up to the civil war but after the war you know the the south and and white supremacy lost the war but they won reconstruction and they were able to completely rewrite the history of what happened in the south and people being able to look back and see how this lost cause mythology took over and historians for decades were rewriting the history of the slaveholding states. And we're seeing that these monuments that are being torn down, they are not monuments to the Confederate foot soldier. They are monuments to white supremacy. And they are monuments that were placed in the 1890s, in the 1920s, in the 1950s, and they were being placed to keep that heritage of white supremacy at the top. And I think that people really starting to dig into the history of what was really happening is amazing to see because we've been trying for years and it's so great to see that. And, and even Juneteenth, seeing so many people talking about the true history of Juneteenth that we all knew about. This was not new information. Um, and that has been so wonderful. And I think we're finally going to start to uncover all of the damage that those lost cause historians did um, in the decades after the war. And I think it's about time that that's happened. Mr. Conley. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, what can, you know, I am not a pastor, uh, but I want to say this, uh, you know, I listen to, as a pastor that I listen to, and, and Pastor Matlock knows who I'm talking about. And this pastor who's worldwide, uh, nationwide, he talked about divine disruption. And, you know, we have this COVID thing going on right now. You cannot forget that. And then all of a sudden, now race is at the top of people wanting information. On. And, you know, I don't think this is by happenstance. 
I think it's I think it's something that you know these United States, you know, when we talked about this COVID virus coming from China, and now we can't we can't we're leading the world and about to go through a second wave, and you know it's a wake up call. It's a wake up call for our proudness or the prideness that has been going on in these United States. And, and you know, we, we uh, you know, all of this, you know, when we talk about systemic racism, we have to bring in education and social justice. We have to bring in housing. We have to bring in all of this. And then going back from the first steps that the settlers did forming this country, we can find out why and we can change that cycle. Reverend Holbrook? You know, it's, um, it's very heartbreaking uh, for me. Even I can recall the first time that I saw, you know, video of, you know, fire hoses and dogs being used uh, against people of color. And, and it's, um, I cried, you know, and to watch a man be suffocated. You know, it, it's, it's heart-wrenching, you know, from a, a Christian perspective, you know, in, in the church, you know, we, we stand for life and uh, a life more abundantly and to see life taken and taken for granted. Uh, the, the church can't stand idly by. And this isn't a, it, it is a church body as a whole. Uh, we have to stand against it. And for, for years, you know, I, I've been blessed that my, my grandfather has uh, instilled within me and the people in our church. Um, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that, that doesn't come with any color or race, but that we are to love one another um, as Christ loved us. But we're taught to, to seek justice, and for, for years, the church has been content to only talk about it. And we've now reached a point in a generation where talk is cheap. We can't just continue to talk about it. We have to stand together and do something about it. And that means we're in lockstep with one another. And I'm so thankful for the generation of, of young people that are standing up together. And as it's been said, you know, social media helps that in so many different ways. You know, I have a, my, my oldest daughter is going to be 24 and um, she calls me almost daily and says, dad, you know, I'm, I'm reading a book and I'm, I'm understanding, you know, my white privilege. Like I'm understanding what's being talked about. And, you know, I, I even thought back over, the past couple of weeks about um, uh, there was a, there was an incident in, in Warren several years ago and um, the police were, you know, traveling the neighborhoods and two of our uh, pastor's sons were pulled over at random. There, there was no reason to pull them over. And that has stuck with me constantly. And I've talked to them about that because, you know, I, I have never once had to worry about that. I've never once been concerned when I got pulled over by a police officer. That's that says a mouthful. And so it's time to do something. It's time for things to change. It's time for us to understand our history, uh, really understand where we come from and, and change it. Now's the time. Thank you. Mrs. Carter. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I have another appointment at 1230, so yeah. but I did want to say, um, you know, as, as the director of action, well, we looked at that was that that was our mission to make sure that 
uh, that we had equality. When we look at white privilege, and I, I, Pastor Holbrook, thank you for saying that, because uh, Action had something what we called taking off the mask. Penny was a, a part of it. And it was, it, it was getting to know us. A lot of times people will say, well, I don't see color. I'm sorry, but you better see color. Uh, you've got to see color. And you cannot say, oh, I have some black friends or I have some white friends. You cannot use this as an excuse any longer. And so I agree with everybody that's on here is that, and especially our white brothers and sisters, the only way that you get to know us is to take off the mask and penny education. You've got to learn us. You will never be able to feel what we feel in our, our, our skin, but you can uh, empathize with us. You can sympathize with us. You can get to know us. And that's what I had said the other day on Channel 21 is that the fact that with even the police department, until you get to know us, whether it's being stopped legally or illegally, until you get to know us and treat us as a human being, because if you remember when our constitution was written, we were not uh, uh, human beings. We were only what? I can't stop. I mean, my history buffs, bluffs, buffs, I think was maybe what? A quarter? Three fifths. Three fifths. There it is. Okay. And so therefore, until you get to know us, we're not going to have any change. And I see it because as Mr. Connolly said, no, I'm not getting any younger. I cannot. I want action. And you know, I like to move action. But we need our young African-American, white and Latino brothers and sisters in not only Youngstown, but Liberty, Mahoning County, Trumbull, Columbiana, to come together as they're doing. And we see what's going on all over the country. But I'm talking about right in this valley, we have got to come uh, come together. Now, I'm a preacher, so, you know, I could keep going on and on. <laughs> Please forgive me, but I, I have a 1230 appointment in Liberty. <laughs> yes. Miss Rose, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Actually. Thank you, everybody. Love thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Well, I'm going to take one more person on this thought. Uh, Vincent Peterson, the second. <laughs> yes, um, I, I was just following up with with what Miss Carter was saying, and the fact that you know we are seeing a new group of leaders, um, uh, younger, energetic, and I think now is the time for the older guard to embrace them. But uh, you know, being a younger person, we we also have to embrace that we need the wisdom that some of the people who have done this before because we don't want to see those, we don't want to go through certain pitfalls and different things that we don't even know is out there. So it's this time period, it's so important for both, you know, the younger and the more seasoned to really gel together so that we can not only do this, but do it right. And that's why I loved, uh, and I see she just jumped on, but in Warren with, with Ty Powell, what I saw was you know, whether it was the I Vote Black group or TCIMA or the Urban League, everybody embraced her. 
They wanted to be there to support her for the movement she put together and for that protest she put together. And it's almost like they wanted to be a hedge of protection around her. Like, hey, we, we're not trying to take this over, but if you fall, know that we got you. We're protecting you. We want to help you. And I think that's what's going to be our steps here in Warren and Youngstown is to embrace our new leaders, to help them get through this time period because yeah, they're, they're not going to know everything. And they do things a little bit differently and may talk differently or dress differently. But, you know, this is their time period. So it's going to be important for everybody to, to embrace and to help lift up our, our younger leaders that are rising right now. Thank you so much, Vincent. As he mentioned, uh, Ty Powell just joined the conversation. Um, Ty, we're just asking that if you do want to uh, join in, that you just show your face and put your hand up if you have any input, but uh, Ty Powell, she is the organizer of the We March, of the We March movement. So if you want to put your video um, down, if you would like, and then when you say something, you could, yeah, just put your mic, put your hand up and then put your mic in. Okay. okay. So, um, okay. I can hear you. <laughs> Um, real quick, I just wanted to just say, you know, I think that it's amazing that you guys all came together to set up this panel to recognize not only the problems that we're having, but the solutions that could come about. You know, I feel that with us as young people, all that we're looking for right now is resources you know, resources of Blacks, resources of whites, resources of Hispanics, you know, to just come together so that we can show that the Valley still has equality within us, you know, and I feel that if we just tackle the problems that we have right now, you know, as far as like race and police brutality, you know, it will show other cities that's going on, going through a lot of turmoil right now, like, hey, if this smaller city can do it, then I know that we could get together and you know make an impact just as much as the valley as far as like Warren, Youngstown, etc. has. So I think that it's amazing. Thank you all so much for inviting me. I'll be quiet and I'll just listen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ty. Now uh moving on, I'm not sure who said uh I think it was Mr. Conley. Um they mentioned social media. It has uh uncovered the hood. Which one said that? That, that was you. That was a great point. And I know that a lot of you guys are seeing different uh, posts on social media from those you know, you love, you love people that you're friends with. Um, kind of hit on what you think some people are missing when it comes to what's going on. I've even seen debates with people uh, debating Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. So little things like that kind of hit on what you've seen and what do you think some people are still missing about this time in history? Pastor Matlock? Thank you for that question. I believe one of the big things is being missed and if we're not careful, it can become a distraction. There must be a holistic approach. Um, during COVID, we're seeing the disparities of healthcare, and we're seeing different things. We see um, in communities of color, people uh, actually having fatalities related to COVID um, greater than other communities. So what we end up seeing with inside of that is that we'll begin to say uh, the whole issue is access to healthcare or access to resources. 
And then we'll have someone that'll argue, uh, well, that's not the problem. The problem is because of how we're being policed. And then someone else will answer, no, that's not the problem. Well, this is what I just want to say is that it's not one of those issues singularly. It's all of them together. This whole situation is complex. And the reality is, is that as it relates to how we address it, I love what Tracy said. There is an aspect that um, historically we really need to approach some things. There's some things as it relates to healthcare, including mental health, that need to be addressed. There are things that are inside of um, the political sphere that need to be addressed. Now, as a pastor within the area that we deal inside of, because I love the fact that we're having this conversation, but as a pastor, my main concern is what's at the heart of this. And at the heart of it, the face of what's at root when it comes to racism is that there's hatred that's there. So I'm not just looking for a conversation by itself. I'm actually looking to have a conversation that will lead to a conversion, that somebody's heart will be changed and they would say, we're not going to live like this any longer. And not only that, we're going to do what's necessary to bring about holistic change. Um, the African-American community, as Brother Tom Conley said, um, he said, this shows the hood. Inside of the hood, it has been complex. There have been challenges for a long time. I heard Penny say it earlier, from 1619 to present. Um, when Tracy made reference to yesterday, so many people celebrating Juneteenth, I was excited about that. But when we know the history of Juneteenth going from January 1st, 1863, with the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, and then not receiving news of that until June 19th, 1865, by Major General uh, Gordon Granger, we have to look that there is, a, there, there is an issue. And when it comes to African-Americans, that in and of itself is an issue, is a delay to things that will actually bring relief to us as a people. We are a people that are, we're not monolithic, but there are a lot of areas that we share suffering inside of. I have a son that every single day that when he leaves to go off to work, my wife and I have to give him a specific set of instructions we can give him instructions that even while he's at work on how to get in contact with us if things get heated there, even when he's on the job. Many people don't have to live like that. But that's a reality inside of our life that's tied to, there's a um, Swahili word that we use to identify, it's called the Mayafa, which references the African Holocaust. And the reality is, is that there are pressures and residues and symptoms that have been left over and that continue to to be here because of that, that must be addressed holistically. Mr. Conley and then Miss uh, Penny. Yes, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, some things are, one thing that is missing, well, I'll start out like this. The COVID virus has shown how this wor world, this whole world, we're all interlocked with each other for something to affect this whole world. And we have to look at that as far as racism as well. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Japan that didn't happen because of the COVID, but I was going to talk about policing in America from a community activist standpoint 
it was going to be under the United Nations umbrella. And right when the COVID started, it was canceled. You know, I was mad, but I was glad, you know. But um, <clears throat> so, you know, what I'm saying is that, you know, with what I went through, uh, you know, we, we need to talk about, you know, right now, again, again, everybody's react in a reactionary mode. And, you know, dealing with the police, dealing with whatever change you have to do, it has to be a strategic change. It can't be a just one fits all boom type thing. And so uh, case in point, uh, dealing with the police in Warren, which right now the city of Warren, I believe that we not, it's not perfect, but we passed everything that's happened in this country, we already had there. We passed all of that, you know, because bringing the Department of Justice in here and the Department of Justice and people don't know that it was the longest open case in the history of these United States. One, one of the top three in the history of these United States in Warren, Ohio. Um, a lot of reasons behind that we won't get into now, but it was a, it, again, it was strategically done. You know, it was things that happened to cause the Department of Justice to come here. And those things are what people need to know. They need to know the history of how things happen and how things evolved. Uh, that's one missing thing. Uh, and, and knowing that it's a building process, it's not, a, a, it's not just gonna happen overnight. So, you know, that's one thing. And then two, um, again, the spiritual side of all of this, that it's going to take all. Um, it's going to take the churches. It's going to take. It's going to take an orchestra to get all this done. Thanks, Miss Penny. I, I think that going back, I think education is the key, and I think we we need to be demanding that of our school system, whether we're talking about charter schools, public schools, universities, that what's embedded in their curriculum that's going to teach American history, not you know white history and black history, but American history. So it's embedded all in together from, from K through 12, through you know, college, through wherever. We, we really need to demand that, we, that these institutions uh, look at their diversity policies. What is their diversity policy? Has it, have they changed it in the midst of all this happening? And where in there is their action? Where in there in, in that policy is admitting that maybe everything that they have been doing is not right? Because um, if you've listened at all to Brian Stevenson, in fact, he was on CNN last night, but I heard him say this several years ago, that the United States has not yet acknowledged what we've done. We've not yet acknowledged our original sin. And, and someone made the comment that we have two original sins, and that's racism and the treatment of Native Americans. But um, he says, you go to Nazi Germany, they've acknowledged what they've done. You go to Rwanda, they've acknowledged what they've done. But we've not acknowledged that from Congress, um, or we've not acknowledged that you know, just in our, in our country that this has happened. And that's part of the reason why um, he opened the Legacy Museum, which just so that people could see the horrificness of lynchings and that you know, people are still denying, well, we didn't, we didn't have all of that or even people who were who horrified by the murder of George Floyd, but you bring in the racism piece, and then they kind of back away. Well, this was just a bad policeman who committed a crime. 
<laughs> you should be punished, but but don't go after all policemen or don't talk about defunding the police department or don't talk about this. So I think that the, the real key is is education, and it's not just not just in our schools, but we've got to in our churches. Those of you who are pastors, you need to look at you know what's your policy. United Methodist Church came out just two weeks ago with a policy, a commitment, and this is the East Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church. But they started out acknowledging that they have done things that have not that have been racist and they need to correct. So they're admitting, but then they're also making a commitment as far as what they're going to do, that as far as education for their pastors, then education for their lay leaders in the church. And I think all groups need to be doing that, whether whether you're you know, a, a nonprofit, whether you're a religious group, an education institution, or whether you're a business. And I know some businesses have done that as far as, as making some changes, but we need we need to all be demanding, particularly our 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 government bodies, that what is what is your diversity policy and 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 what are you not just a broad statement, but what are you really, really willing to do and, and commit? Because I think that um, people people need to begin to look at themselves and particularly white people that that there's not one one single one of us who's white who who does not have some embedded racism within us because we've grown up in a society that was created for white people for the benefit of white people at the expense of people of color so so that embedded racism is there and and you're not even aware of it but but that's part of our job to educate people. And I'll just share with you that my, my kids, my sojourn kids, are right now we're meeting weekly, they're writing an anti-racism workshop. So it's going to be a workshop that's written by young people for adults and kids. And they're going to present the workshop. So they, for those of you who have uh, groups, they are, in a few weeks, they're going to be ready to, to, do, to present their anti-racism workshop to whomever invites them to do that. But that's taking action. And that's what all of us need to do. What are we doing to take action to make a difference at this, at this moment and extending to change this country and just change this perception that people who are white do realize the privilege they have, not just those of us who are present but the average ordinary everyday person. And I'll just share, I was appalled at my church when I asked them to support this um, commitment that was made by East Ohio Conference. I'm a United Methodist. And, and my, my pastor said, no, there were some things in that commitment that um, he couldn't agree with. And, you know, I'm really having to decide what, 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 what are my next steps as far as that. But so there are a lot of, you know, we know that there are a lot of people out there who still are not willing to, to admit that this country has, has sinned terribly and we need to make amends and we need to acknowledge it and we need to move on. All right, one more on this subject. Uh, Vincent, uh, Mr. Peterson, um, I'm gonna have you too, uh, Reverend Holbrook. So. Mr. Peterson first, and then Reverend Holbrook. I was just going to say, and I'll be quick, is just, uh, and Pastor Matlock touched on it some. I think some of the things that we're missing um, in the arguments that I've seen on Facebook is I don't think people fully understand the PTSD that goes along with being an African-American in this country. Yeah. I think people watch that video and, and they get those, those emotions and they're like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. And what I've tried explaining to people is this is how we've felt pretty much every video that comes out. I remember crying 
finding out George Zimmerman was found not guilty. Like I, I was in college. I remember those tears. I remember my father crying watching uh, Philando Castile get murdered. Um, I remember watching my father, who's been in law enforcement for 30 years, 30 plus years, crying after watching that. I remember the, just the second watching George Floyd for the first time and sitting with my wife and my wife looking at me crying, saying, sometimes I hope we don't even have a son because I'm, I'm that afraid of that happening. That level of PTSD, that normalization that we have to tell our kids that you can't just be okay. You have to be perfect to survive in this world. You have to be twice as good to just get equal, to just be okay. You have to be twice as good to survive. That level of PTSD, when, when you go through that, when you live like that, there is a level of anger that comes in these moments. And what I'm seeing is people are trying to normalize this as a one-off incident and saying, yeah, we need change, but hey guys, don't act like this or don't feel like that. Well, this has been boiling over for, for I don't know how long. And I think people are truly missing that fact. I, I, you know, I'm a huge football guy, former, former college football player, um, absolutely love football. And I know the big debate is the kneeling for the flag and what's a protest and what's not a protest. Um, but I find issue, and it's, it goes back again to acknowledging history, I find issue that we can prioritize that, you know, hey, you're disrespecting the military or you're doing this or you're doing that. And I'm like, first of all, no, they're not. But the other thing is you talk to me about the military and you'll praise the Tuskegee Airmen, but never talk about the Tuskegee experiment. We, we, we won't talk about all the things that happened. The red summer of 1919 where black soldiers were coming home from, I believe, World War One. And there were race riots because what was happening is black soldiers caught in uniform were being beaten and lynched. We don't talk about those things and acknowledge that those things happen. So maybe what, what the flag and the anthem means to you doesn't necessarily mean that to every segment and group and minority uh, group in our country. And the fact that we deny that, it just it harbors more anger, more PTSD, more feelings of nobody understands what we go through. So I think people are missing that occasionally. But what I do love is that now um, we have people who are so willing to at least have the conversation. And in that conversation piece, there's no way you can learn without having that conversation, right? And so, you know, it's just so important that, that we be persistent and not just, and I get the anger, but not just attacking people who don't have our views, but also doing our best to have the conversation to be like, here, let me give you the facts. And if you can dispute the facts and you want to ignore them, okay, well, that's a willful ignorance on you. But I'm not going to let you get away with saying you don't know. Reverend Holbrook and then Pastor Matlock. You know, one of the things I want to piggyback off of Vincent here, you know, one of the things that uh, I think that we have failed to do specifically as, as white people is listen to actually hear, you know, before Isaiah said to seek justice, he said to learn to do good. Well, in, in church, we tell people that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but we'll still have closed ears to what's going on around us and not have the, the dialogue. And we're also, it says to be slow to speak. You know, the one thing that my wife has reminded me on several occasions here in the last few weeks is, be quiet. I want you to be quiet. And she's been an educator in Warren City for years. 
Um, and, and she says, you need to listen to what's being said before you speak, before you want to react. You know, she, one of her sayings in the house is be a problem solver, not a problem finder. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of built in that mode of wanting to interject immediately. I want to I want to help solve problems. I want to do all of those things. And I want to reach out in, in love and concern for my brothers and sisters. But I've had to learn to be quiet because there's a lot of things, even things that have been said today that I need to go and read for myself. I, I need to go back and study that history that has been missing for my 42 years. And so we have to listen. If we're going to learn, we have to listen. And um, I, I really greatly appreciate each and every one of you today. And I apologize and I'm going to have to jump out here too. No problem. Thank you so much for your time, Reverend Holbrook. God bless y'all. Yes, God bless you. God bless you, my brother. I just I just wanted to say I thank God for each and every one of you that that are here and the points that you have brought forth. Thank God for you, Ty. Um, when we talk about that piece of with Vincent talking about um, listening to the facts and Pastor Holbrook saying how there needs to be listening. Um, my great grandmother was born in 1902 in Greenville, Alabama. And I remember sitting down with her when she was in her 90s doing an oral history with her. Um, when we talk about going to history, I want you to understand when we say go to history, don't we're not talking about go to Barnes and Noble. We're talking about there are living individuals right now that can tell you what that history was like and what it felt like. Um, my mother-in-law was born in 1933, my father-in-law in 1927. The same gentleman that actually took Emmett Till's life, tried to take my father-in-law's life, my father-in-law's life um, on a couple of occasions. I want you to know that the history that's inside of the history books, most of us that are here, we're not far from that history. My great-grandmother told me, I said, I asked my great-grandmother, I said, during the Great Migration, what was the most exciting thing about moving from the South to the North? And she said that a black man was able to have dignity. He did not have to step off of the sidewalk for little white children, take off his hat and bow his head down to them and call them sir and man. He was able to stand up and walk like a man. This is something that we have been saying from the time that we arrived on this continent. It's just to recognize us, recognize our humanity. Even with the abolishment of slavery, and I love what Penny was referencing um, pertaining to the Methodist Church, because we know of the history of uh, Dr. Richard Allen. We know what happened to him and the reason why uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, while it even began, it was because abolishment of slavery was one thing, and we recognize your humanity up to that point, but when it comes down to equality, that becomes a different issue. And that does become an education issue. And it does, it is something. One thing that we have as our at our church, as our vision and our mission is to love God and all people, transform lives and to deploy saints. The reality is when you say that you're going to love God and all people, to love all people, you must sit down and have conversations. And what we must understand that when we love someone, at times those that we love, we may disagree with, but disagreement does not have to mean division. We can still be unified while yet disagreeing on certain points and pursue the exact same goals. 
All right, Miss Manny. <laughs> I think in, in going back to what might be missing right now, um, I think speaking as a, as a white woman, I hear so many white people say, oh, well, it wasn't my ancestors. My ancestors didn't own slaves. My ancestors didn't do this. And I think we have to own our history. And there's a big difference between heritage and history. You can be proud of your ethnicity. I can be proud of where my ancestors came from, you know, hundreds of years ago. But I still have to own what that ethnicity did. Um, and so I think something that is really missing is the white community coming together as a whole, saying, this is in our past. This is something that happened. And for me personally, it's not something that I talk about uh, because I'm ashamed of it, but I have ancestors that were in the clan. I have ancestors that went to cross burnings and we have their robes and so on and so on. And I look back and I had relationships with those people. And I think now, what would that be like? They're no longer with me, but that's a history that I own. And I can step forward and I can realize that I have made those changes in myself. I have seen other families make, or other family members make those changes and, and come around to the truth. But we still have to own what our ancestors as a whole did. And I swear, if I've got to listen to one more person say it wasn't my ancestors, then we're not going to move forward. We have to acknowledge what entire groups of people did in the past. All right. Thank you. Um, the last question, briefly, where do we go from here? That's the question that we keep hearing. Um, what are your thoughts? on that. Pastor Constantino. Pastor Constantino. Nope, oh, sorry about that. No, you're okay. <laughs> button, button didn't click right. Um, really, that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, the key, key words mentioned already throughout was listening and learning. And, and, and a big word going forward would be action. And uh, if, we're, if, if we're committed to one another and moving forward with the right change, our action has to require interaction with one another, but also first with God. Um, the, the book that Pastor Matlock referred to, Dr. King used back in the 60s. And he understood out of Proverbs 14.34, he understood the principle that righteousness exalts a nation. And that, that means that religion doesn't exalt a nation. Politics doesn't exalt a nation. Education doesn't exalt a nation. Now, all these things are important. And uh, the holistic approach, I agree with 100%. They're all, they all need to be included. But at the bottom of all this, the foundation of all this has to be what God says is true and right. And that includes what he says is right and that that is there's no way around it uh, we will continue to repeat history if we don't include what god says is true and right and uh 
Miss Penny uh, hit on a great point when she said about confessing our sins. And uh, yes, we do have national sins to confess, but you break a nation down and it comes down back into cities and it comes back into homes and it comes back into families and it comes down to our personal lives. And our nation will not be restored unless we all take this very personally and look at ourselves personally and where in our hearts personally do we need to change and get things right according to what God says in his book. Uh, I believe that, you know, I hold myself accountable first. I have to look in the mirror and hold myself accountable before I ask our congregation to do the same. And uh, I believe that goes for all of us. Uh, our action requires interaction, first with God and then with one another, and then out from there. Awesome. Thanks. Miss Penny. Well, I, I agree that we need to look at ourselves first. One of the things the students learn on Sojourn is that if I come back with an action plan, I can't expect other people to do something that I am not willing to do myself or I'm not changing myself. The students learn that on Sojourn, this journey is not about the me. It's about people during the civil rights movement who put their lives on the line for all Americans. So they're challenged, what are you gonna do? And how are you gonna bring about change? So I, I think we all need to do that. It's, and when we're, when we're talking with other people, when we're talking about changing policy, uh, and that's why I say we need to look at our own groups, whatever, whomever we're involved with, just what are our, our diversity policies and, and what do we need to change about them? What do we need to change about ourselves? Those of us who are white, looking at ourselves and seeing, admitting that, you know, we have privilege, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we have privilege. And, and what do we need to do to, to make that privilege extend to everybody? So I think that, that education is the key. I think we need to not let uh, the momentum down. I think we need to keep pushing. I, I, William Barber also made the comment when I heard him then speak in, in Birmingham on the 50th anniversary of, of Bloody Sunday, that if you look at your circle of friends, the people who are around you, and if they all look like you, then you're pretty limited. And you need to make an effort to expand that circle. And it means, you know, you don't just add somebody and say, this person is my friend, but it means that you do have, have heart to heart conversation and you do listen and you, you do aware. And just to share with, with, with one of my stories, is that, that my kids are biracial. And not to say because of my white privilege, I, I never thought about having the talk with my sons. And, and my oldest son is, is 40. And it's only been in the last two years that I've that it's really come home to me, Garrett, what you were talking about, about when your kids leave the house. My son makes a ton of money, but he flies from New Jersey where he lives to, to um, Michigan twice a month, not since the pandemic, but twice a month. And he gets in a car and a rental car and drives to Kalamazoo. And so in the last two years, I've worried about when he gets in that car and he drives across the highway where he knows nobody, you know, is, is he going, am I going to see him again? Is he going to come home or get back home at night? And you're right, nobody should have to feel that way. Nobody should have to have that stress or that, that worry. And all of us need, in this country, need to realize that. So that's why education is the key. Listening is the key. Too, but we've just got to persevere and work for, for, for policy change and action. Mr. Matlock, Pastor Matlock. <laughs> Where do we go from here? The Bible that we teach from speaks a lot about hope and speaks a lot about faith. 
Hope is about what our heart is able to see and desire. And faith is about what our legs and our arms are willing to do about it. The Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. So where do we go from here? We all inside of our hearts have spoken about hope. But now we have to walk by faith. So where do we go? I go to my brother, Pastor Michael Constantino, who may have questions. And that just because he has questions that um, I might think that he should know, I am patient to understand that he just may not know. And he may do the exact same. Understanding that in our conversation that I am not there to demonize whiteness, nor is he there to defend whiteness. I am not there to try to reverse roles and elevate blackness above whiteness, but that we are able to sit down at common ground and to understand our humanity. So where do we go from here? We go to Pastor Michael Constantino. We go to Tom Conley. We go to my brother Vincent. We go to support Ty Powell when she puts together rallies. We go to Penny and we go to Tracy. We go to one another. And then once we come together, by seeing our mutual hope, we lock our arms together and we do just like that old song we sing. We have come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord. We walk together. We fight together. We, we cry together. Um, Vincent talked about it. And Vincent, when I see him, I, I see his dad. And when I see his dad, I see how his dad and I grew up. And when I look at Tom, I see my parents and I see how they grew up. And Vincent and I, we, we, we are keepers of ancestral lore. We, we hold on to the pain that has been passed on to us as well as have an understanding of what we presently feel. And what we are just desiring is that at heart level, where do we go from here? We continue this fight against what's at the root of racism, which is ignorance and hatred. We fight it with the weapons that we have. The weapons that we have in the Bible, it says that they're not of this world. They have divine power to demolish mindsets. So that's what we are up against. We're up against mindsets. And some of them have been set in for a long time. Thank you, Tracy, for talking to us about the difference between history and heritage. Many of us can look within our own family lines and see that there are some things that we just don't agree with. But we have got to own that and make the understanding and the distinction of saying that even though this is what we may have seen in our family line, we've made a conscious decision to go a different way. Mr. Conley, then we'll have Ms. Penny and then um, Mr. Peterson. Yeah, I um, you know, where do we go from here? I, I've already talked about, you know, the possibility of getting a model uh, like Nelson Mandela did in South Africa, the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission, um, where, you know, everything that we talked about will be encompassed in that, starting at the top, because it has to start at the top. I, um, I mentioned earlier about us all being interconnected, and you know, I'm just looking at the screen, and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm connected to Vincent Peterson, the second, through his father. I'm connected to Gary Matlock through his parents. You know, I, I, I believe Ty Powell, she graduated from our, our charter school that we operate, Rivergate High School. And I sent her to DC 
to uh, a black college tour and to tour the Capitol. You know, and, and then uh, Pastor Michael Castino, um, you know, he's in Liberty. I was the first black uh, school board member on Liberty. And so, and then Penny Wells, we talk about John Lewis, you talk about uh, United Methodist. I believe my, my uncle was the first black pastor in the United Methodist Church, Charles Frost. And so, you know, uh, you know, we got all these interconnections and, and, you know, I think that, you know, experience, you know, and, 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 and just having those conversations sidelined, um, as, as uh, Pastor Madlock said, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I already have it. I'm already going to call uh, uh, Pastor Mike. I want to call. I'm going to be calling you to just have a conversation, you know. So, you know, I'm, I'm just happy uh, for that. And it kind of gives me strength in these tired moments, you know, to move on and keep it moving. And I'm going to go after this. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Conley. Ms. Penny, and then we'll have final thoughts very briefly, because I think we're heading into an hour, but very great. This dialogue has, has been amazing, have been amazing. Ms. Penny. Thank you, thank you. I just want to, to, to pick up on what Garrick was saying, because you know, Dr. King, Dr. King came out with the six principles of nonviolence. And certainly John Lewis is uh, my role model as the epitome of a person who lives by the principles of nonviolence. And one of the principles says that, that nonviolence seeks to defeat the injustice and not the person. So I, I think we need to be you know, very aware that, that when we are talking with people that we disagree with, that we need to, to know that we're not trying to put that person down. We're not trying to, to disrespect him, but we're, we're working on trying to, to defeat the injustice. One of the three civil rights workers that was murdered after Freedom Summer in, in Mississippi, when, um, when, when they were getting ready to shoot him and the guy was standing like two or three feet from him and he, and he knew he was going to be killed, he just looked at him and said, I know just how you feel. And how do we know that he said that? Because the person he said it to later admitted that when he said that and then he went ahead and shot him, it, it just kind of ate away at his soul that, that he was trying to make that human connection with him. Of, of I, he understood why he was, why he'd been taught to be racist, how he came to be that way, but just trying to make the connection. So I think that just when we're, when we're listening and when we're having conversations and we're, we're working to, to bring about change, we have to remember that we're working on defeating the injustice or the injustices that, are, that exist and not to defeat the person that's there and to, to reach out and, and to love and understanding rather than with anger. All right, final thoughts. <laughs> I just want to say- I, I, Final thoughts. I just want to say that I thought this was a phenomenal conversation and, and yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's definitely motivated me. And I would just say, you know, going from here is just embracing our roles. Whatever our roles are in the community, there's work that can be done if it's, you know, what Melaine is doing right now. And, and I know I'm around policymakers, so it's my job to push policy and pastors have a role. The historical society has a role. Everybody has a role. So we just need to embrace it and uh, all push forward. And when we all do that together, good things will come from it. So good. Thank you. Tracy. 
There we go. Um, I think uh, kind of picking up on a little bit of what Penny said is that owning who we are and where we come into this story, but we also have to remember that not only is racism learned, racism is taught because you're not going to just learn something from scratch. Um, so as we move forward, I think education is going to be the key. I think just like Vincent said, it's got to come from where we are. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, we don't need to step into roles that are not our roles. Um, and we can use whatever platform we have to continue to move us forward. Um, I think we can help to amplify voices. That's incredibly important right now. Um, And it's just to keep this passion that so many of us have right now. Um, We have to keep that passion burning so that it's going to continue and move forward. Because if in a month from now, we've all just kind of, you know, let it go and and we're kind of back to where we were years ago, nothing's going to change. So you got to keep that passion inside, use your voice, amplify the voices around you and um, just keep moving forward. Right. Is that it or anyone else? All right. Pastor Constantino. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to meet with all of you and to begin to build relationships. And I really believe that's a key word going forward. Uh, the Liberty Township Police Department has been proactive in, in trying to u- unite the community through relationships. We all know we don't do that perfectly, but we've, we've got a starting point here. We've got uh, starting points within our different areas of influence, and I'm really looking forward to what we can all do together. Uh, there, this whole group is, is a group of ones who have made commitments, and uh, going forward, that's what we need. We need to make commitments to go forward to build relationships. So I really appreciate it. Uh, the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Constantino. Pastor Matt Love. I do appreciate this conversation. Pleased to meet all of you. I can't wait to actually have the opportunity to actually share uh, space and perhaps a coffee. <laughs> but um, Pastor Mike and I, um, Pastor Mike just this past Sunday came and had um, words and he spoke to our congregation. And what a powerful word that he gave. But one thing that we've committed to one another is that our relationship with each other is not just about swapping pulpits. It's about actually rolling up our sleeves and getting down and dirty together. So this is what it comes down to. Um, I just think of John Newton, who was one who was once that, uh, that guy that transported slaves across the Atlantic. But when God moved his heart, he wrote a song that we are able to carry with us all the way today. And I just believe that if we are able to give that to one another, that we will too be able to see how amazing God's grace is. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on that. You all did a wonderful job. I appreciate you all so much. Your input, your time. I sat here and learned so much. I was sitting here just soaking it all in. But I I hope and I'm sure that this conversation will continue to move past past this Zoom virtual panel. Let's share our wealth of knowledge. You talk so much about education and how important it is for not just white people, but black people. Like I said, I learned so much from you all. So 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Have a wonderful day and continue to share what you know with your community is so important. Have a good day, guys.